The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I got vacation on my mind, folks. That I'm in vacation mode right now. In less than 24 hours from when I'm recording this, which is on Sunday, I will be on vacation. My wife and I are taking our darling dog, Molly, the official Break the Business Golden Retriever, with us to the Poconos for the week. Oh, my God. I am I am over the moon. I'm so excited. The three of us, we're going to go canoeing. We're going to go swimming. We're going to go hiking. I'm, 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 I'm excited. It's going to be a blast. I can't believe we get to do all this with the dog. Uh, she's going to love it. She's, oh, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm in vacation mode. You know, I travel so much for work. Which I love doing, by the way. I'm not hating on it, but it's going to be nice to be able to just travel purely for pleasure. And so once I'm over and done recording this episode, I'm going to finish up my packing, and then it is Bond Voyage to the Pokes, my man. And don't worry, loyal BTB fans, I will be back here just in time to record next week's episode. So... Uh, the show's not going to miss any weeks just because of my vacation, so don't worry about any of that. But yeah, uh, the vacation's on my mind. Also on my mind, our guest this week, our dear friend of the podcast, Arielle Hyatt, is stopping by. I adore her. She's an acclaimed music publicist. She's the founder of Cyber PR. She's the author of the book Crowd Start, the ultimate guide to a powerful and profitable crowdfunding campaign. She's awesome. If you're doing anything in the music business right now, if you're any kind of indie artist, if you're making even the minimal kind of investment in your career that you should be doing, you have to know her and what she's up to because she's everywhere and she's got so much great advice and she's awesome. And I can tell you that this interview is going to be awesome because, well, it's one of those times where I've pre-recorded the interview ahead of time, so I can tell you that she was great. I can also tell you that because I pre-recorded the interview, that this interview is hilarious. It's hilarious. It is, without a doubt, one of the favorite interviews I've ever done on this podcast. It is a wildly entertaining interview. It is just, it, it, there are hijinks. I'll just say it. There is hijinks, and there is tomfoolery, and there is hullabaloo in this, in this interview. It's, it's so, it's going to be, it's going to be funny. You're going to love it. And it's also informative, because we got to keep you informed here as well. It can't all be silliness. Um, but Ariel's the absolute best. It, and so she's entertaining and she's informative. It's going to be great. So you should definitely stick around and find out why this interview turned out to be so funny. Don't go anywhere. She's coming up in the next segment. But before we bring her in, let's talk about a piece of news that you've all been emailing this show about, man. I'm telling you, I, I don't even need to do... I didn't even need to figure out what topics I'm going to come up with each week for the show because you guys basically pick my topics for me now where you just send me, oh, Ryan, I want you to talk about this. Did you see this article, Ryan? The answer is always yes, by the way. I get that tweet a lot. Hey, Ryan, did you see this article? Yes, because I have Twitter as well. And, you know, people send me these things. And so, by the way, for those of you who sent me this article because you wanted to talk about it, this is going to be a good article for us to talk about. I received multiple requests from you guys 
to talk this week about the report that City GPS put out about the current state of the music industry. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the investment firm City wrote a super long <laughs> report called Putting the Band Back Together, Remastering the World of Music. And this report, which was really long <laughs> and uh, you know ate up most of my vacation planning having to read it uh, today and yesterday, makes some pretty powerful conclusions about the music business, including its finding, which has been a bombshell, and everybody's been writing about this finding, that artists, according to the report, only generate about 12% of the money produced by the industry. The rest of the money goes to the digital music services, the concert promoters, the record labels, etc. That's it. The artists just get 12%. I quote here from the report, quote, In most forms of entertainment the artist captures the lion's share of the spoils. But because the music industry has so many intermediaries, and because the consumption of music is so fragmented across various platforms, the artist captures very little of the aggregate revenues. End quote. This is something that I've railed against for a while now. Even going back to when I wrote the original Break the Business book, I've always been talking about this. The music industry is this weird place where the most valuable resources in the industry, the artists who, you know, actually make the music, capture a relatively tiny amount of the value generated by that music. That report basically just outlines what is the core tenet of this podcast, that artists like you are getting screwed because there are too many intermediaries between the people who create the music, i.e. you guys, and the people who consume the music, i.e. your fans. And as long as we have all the intermediaries that we do in the industry, artists like you are never going to get their fair share. But before we talk about any of that, I do want to make a couple quick points about the report. First of all, if you are a relative newcomer to the music industry, and you're just looking for some kind of document that's going to talk you through a lot of the general points about things you need to know about the music business, if you're looking for just a good primer, is it primer or primer? One of those two. About If you're just looking for a good like opening kind of thing to let you know about the lay of the land of the music industry, this report would be a good read for you. So you might want to consider checking it out. Again, the report is entitled, Putting the Band Back Together, Remastering the World of Music. It's from City GPS. That's the first thing to remember. Second thing to remember, this report gives you just general points. A fair criticism of this report is that even though it's a long report, and I can't emphasize it, it's a long report, can't say that enough, despite its length, it does not really dig into the research as well as it should. And I will say I was disappointed in this report that a lot of the citations are publicly available sources. It leans very heavily, for example, on the Donald Passman book, All You Need to Know About the Music Business, which is fine. It's a great book, but the problem is that we've all read that book, or many of us have read that book. For a lot of us, it was the first book we read to get us uh, accustomed to the music industry. It's not exactly a deep dive to cite that book extensively in your report. So it's a, you know, the report has a lot of analysis, but it doesn't do a lot of deep digging. And so a lot of its conclusions aren't as strong as they could be. That being said, to be fair to the article, it does get its final conclusion pretty close to right. The biggest problem with this industry is that there are too many powerful intermediaries between the artists who produce music and the fans who consume it. 
And because of that, artists like you are only getting 12% of the revenue created by the industry, despite the fact that the industry literally cannot exist without you. Everyone else in the music industry is replaceable, is dispensable. If all the record labels disappeared tomorrow, if Spotify disappeared tomorrow, if CD Baby disappeared tomorrow, if Sirius XM disappeared tomorrow, if everything disappeared except for you, the artists, we could still have a music industry. But if you guys disappeared, that's it. The industry's gone. And, dis- and, and normally, The people that are most indispensable to a transaction make the most money from the transaction, except for the music industry, because of all these intermediaries. And if you're looking for an intermediary that is an easy target for scrutiny for why artists are getting such a small piece of the pie, look no further than record labels. According to the report, record labels are getting nearly twice as much music industry revenue than artists are. They're getting about 23% to the artist's 12%. This doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. In today's music industry, the one that we're in right now, labels are becoming less and less valuable, less and less important. All the things that labels do, music production, music promotion, music distribution, music capital, These are all things that in today's music industry, artists can do for themselves for free or at least close to it thanks to modern technology. It's easier than ever for artists to make their own music. It's easier than ever for artists to promote their own music, to distribute your own music. Anybody can set up a CD Baby account or a TuneCore account. And in terms of capital, my God, Patreon, Kickstarter, Pledge Music. That's where your money's coming from. It's coming right from your fans. It's not coming from an intermediary anymore. And so all the things that labels do, somebody else can do for you for cheaper. And so labels are becoming less and less relevant, and yet we still live in an industry where labels are taking twice as much money as you are. It's problematic. Now, as you can imagine... The labels have come out and criticized the hell out of this report in the last few days. They know when somebody's coming after their cookies and they're going to try to fight against it. And so they're coming out saying that this artist figure that they came out, that came out in the report, this 12% figure is wrong. And it's actually much, much higher than that in reality. Well, I've read the report and I do agree that that 12% figure is probably wrong. But if anything, the number that was calculated in the report is actually higher than the real number. Artists are probably getting much less than 12%. For one thing, the report assumes that labels aren't earning any money from an artist's concert revenues, and that was one of the assumptions they put into the report. The article states, quote, uh, music labels don't directly participate in concert economics, unquote, and thus don't receive concert money from an artist. What? In what world? Is these are these report writers living in? In what world do the labels not get a piece of concert revenue? What? Clearly, the folks at City have never heard of 360 record deals, which are now standard in the music business. And in these deals, labels routinely get 30% or more off the top for things like an artist's merchandising sales and concert revenues. But as I said before, the report is not perfect. And the research is not as deep as it could have been. And 
I will also say this about that 12% figure. It's probably skewed up by the fact that a lot of the top shelf artists are getting bigger pieces of the pie. And that what's really the case is that some of the lesser known artists, the artists that are more in the tier of the listeners that are listening to this, you guys are getting a much lower percentage because you're probably not earning enough in sales from record deals to recoup the label's investments. So you're probably not getting 12%. You're getting next to nothing from the industry if you're signed to a deal. But let, let's not get into the weeds here. Let's focus on the main point of all of this. Artists are the most important component of the music industry. The industry does not exist without somebody to create the music. Everybody else is replaceable. Everybody. Sirius XM, CD Baby, uh, you know, Universal Music, Warner Music, entertainment lawyers like me, we can all disappear tomorrow and there can still be a music industry, but there can't be one without you. Artists are not expendable. They're not replaceable. They are the most valuable part of this business. There is no business justification. Hell, there's no ethical justification for the industry to be in existence in such a way where record labels are getting twice as much in revenues as artists. Artists are indispensable. Labels are an irrelevant intermediary. And it is my hope that we as an industry can figure out how to remove from the equation these labels so as to put less distance between artists like you and the fans who love your music. So let me give you that article name one more time so you can give it a read. It's called Putting the Band Back Together, Remastering the World of Music. Check it out. It is, I mean, despite its shortcomings, still a nice, solid read to just kind of give you a nice lay of the land of the music business. All right. The wildly entertaining R.A.L. Hyatt is up next. You're going to love it. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. She is an acclaimed music publicist and the founder of Cyber PR, a music PR and strategy firm that services independent artists. On August 6th, she launched Cyber PR Labs, a series of 12 masterclasses for indie artists hosted by industry insiders such as former podcast guests Bobby Osinski, Suzanne Paulinski, and Cheryl B. Engelhart. You can find out more about Cyber PR Labs by visiting www.cyberprmusic. Ladies and gentlemen, we are always happy to welcome back our friend Ariel Hyatt to the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Ariel. Hello. Um, now, folks, Ariel told me in the pre-interview that uh, she is waiting on a Thai food delivery to her house and that there may be a doorbell in the middle of the interview. So we're all going to be waiting with bated breath because we want to know when the Thai food comes. <laughs> and just just so you know, if it does come, we're not stopping the interview. We want to hear you like go out to the door and like, you know, figure out what the tip's going to be. And you know. we're like, thank God for Seamless because all that's already done. It's oh. like it sort of gives you this new totally impersonal thing where they just open the door and hand, throw it at you and run. So you're not going to get that, but oh, I do have the most annoying doorbell in all of New York City, so you'll all get to hear that. So is it wait, or is it like a, a theme? Like Is it like a song that's going to play or something contemporary? I wish. Okay. I wish. <laughs> it's just like, you'll hit, you know, I, I, I'll leave you all to, what will be really funny is if we get through this whole interview and then there is no doorbell. Um, yeah. but yes, I, I do not enjoy the sound of the doorbell at well, this place. You know, they say in podcasting, you always need to have something that keeps the listeners listening and we might just have the best tease. <laughs> Stick around. Find what Ariel Hyatt's doorbell sounds like. <laughs> so, 
Um, Ariel, I've looked at what you've been up to recently here with Cyber PR Labs, and I love it. If for no other reason that you have a lot of our favorites from the show hosting masterclasses. And we're going to talk all about that program in just a bit. But first, I want to talk about some of the things that you've written about recently, because I'm looking at my to-do list of things I want to talk to you about. We got Thai food. Um, Cyber PR Labs comes later. And next here, we have your articles. So you... You have some great PR tips that came from some of these articles. Earlier this summer, you wrote Musician's Guide to Charity Fundraising. You talked about how indie artists can get their fans to support a charitable project and even get an engagement boost for themselves in the process. I thought this was really intriguing. I've never read an article like this before. Based on that article, what are a couple of your favorite ways that indie artists can use social tools to boost fan engagement around a charitable cause? So the first thing I want to say is I think this is such a horrible time in our world. It feels like every time I turn my head, um, there's some sort of divisive news or something crazy happening. And I feel like we're becoming more and more divided. So I wanted to write a series this summer to kind of bring us all back together because I think a lot of us are deeply suffering from all this craziness that's going on in the media. So I wrote the Musician's Guide to Charity Fundraising, which is part one of a, of a three-part series, because if anyone follows my blog, you know I like things in threes. So this article covers um, how to create a simple fundraiser for a charitable organization. And if you've ever seen a lot of your friends maybe doing this on Facebook for their birthday, they'll raise a little bit of money to for safe drinking water or animal rescue or children or immigrants or whatever. Um, and I just wanted to bring it to the blog because I think some people still don't know wait, wait, wait. how to. That's not it. That's actually my phone ringing oh no terrible <laughs> hold please i'm gonna shut the ringer off <laughs> we're gonna keep all this in listeners So while we wait for Ariel, folks, I can tell you, you can follow the Break the Business podcast on Twitter at the BTB podcast. You can follow me at Ryan K-A-I-R. And how awesome is it that we get to have both Ariel's annoying cell phone and her <laughs> annoying doorbell coming up next. So don't go anywhere. The, the suspense is killing me. This is ridiculous. That was actually a spam phone call. So yay. So glad that ruined the moment. <laughs> You are absolutely going to be editing this, right? Eh, 50-50. <laughs> See how I feel on Sunday. Yeah. This is what happens when you get to know people too well. This is the kind of interview that happens, people. Never meet your idols. That's all I have to say. Okay, so. At least it was an important call. It's like I looked at the caller ID and it said, spam, question mark. I'm like, really? This is great. <laughs> Um, okay, All moving right. on. Back to charity fundraising, which apparently was just trying to happen on my spam <laughs> phone call. Um, in lieu of just cold calling human beings and asking them to join you on a mission, you can use Facebook. <laughs> so I would say if you scan that article at cyberprmusic.com, I did go through ways that you can Use the Facebook platform to select a nonprofit or a charity of your choice and launch a little fundraiser. 
And I think this is a nice thing to do, A, because it takes all of the attention off of you. And for those of you creatives out there who, you know, get exhausted from tooting your own horn and promoting your own stuff or sharing your French fries or your coffee or your cats or you're getting just overwhelmed, it's a nice pause in your social channels. And it's a nice way to get your fans to come and give a couple of dollars to something that is meaningful to you. Yeah, I dig it because it's not tooting your own horn, which is nice because as you've talked about all the time, you know, one of the worst things you can do on social media is just talk about you, you, you all the time. But what this does is it does give your fans a window into things that you care about. Oh, my favorite artist, you know, cares about safe drinking water. That's cool. That's something I didn't know about them before. I feel like I have a more complete picture of this person I, I like now. That's I like I dig that. I dig that a lot. Cool. And then part two is a little bit more of a how-to article, and it's how to do a benefit, and it's guidelines written by Jen Chapin, who's actually a past cyber PR client and Harry Chapin's daughter. Harry Chapin, before he passed away, founded World Hunger Year, which is a global organization that helps, um, helps end hunger. And it's amazing, and it's been very widely supported by Bruce Springsteen, who's been one of their biggest advocates for since it started in 1975. But um, she wrote a little guideline article on, you know, how to run your own charity-based um, live show, and she she has wonderful tips, just seven bullet points that you can follow in order to make a difference. And then part three of that article series, um, I selected 25 music related charities that benefit either musicians or young people that want to study music or benefit from instruments in underserved communities. And then I also um, put in some organizations that there's the doorbell. Oh, wow. (laughs) Hold, please. All right, I'm going to put up a Twitter poll later, listeners. More annoying, the cell phone of acclaimed indie artist publicist Ariel Hyatt or the doorbell of acclaimed indie artist or indie artist publicist Ariel Hyatt. Um, I mean, the, and the, we're back. the cell oh phone kind of took the cake, though, because not only was it loud and annoying, but it had like the, you know, alert, alert, you know, thing going to that's not my that wasn't even my cell phone that was my office phone it was like it's the one that talks to you (laughs) horrible (laughs) all right so now we have to know uh what what thai food does ariel hyatt order are you a are you a pad thai person did you just get some like miso soup some ginger salad what are we talking about this evening you totally nailed it pad thai is oh, what was on good the choice. I had pad thai for lunch today. Oh my god, I, I have a kindred spirit in you. This is fantastic. There you go. All right, now so, um, so tell us a little more about charity fundraising. Right. If anybody, if anybody's still listening, <laughs> um, yeah, 143 episodes. This is easily the favorite interview I've ever done. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. So. Back to our regularly scheduled charity uh-huh. fundraising. So part three of the articles on cyber PR music is I did select 25 charities and they go from different sectors. I broke them down. So 
Sector number one is if you'd like to support um, any other musicians in the medical world. So the TJ Martell Foundation helps artists and musicians in the music community that are suffering with cancer. Musicians on Call does bedside visits in hospitals. You can volunteer. Sweet Relief, which I sit on the board of, helps artists who have been hurt um, or disabled somehow get back on their feet, etc. And there are many other categories like um, empowering female artists is one of them and empowering the youth. So if you want to um, help give your money to or your used instruments to a charity organization that will donate them to underserved youth community um, all the information is there at Cyber PR Music. It's 25 music-based charities. So you can choose one of those, then go on over and read Jen Chapin's article about how to run a fundraiser. And if you don't feel like doing a live show, you can hook it up digitally. I love it. Use your music as a force for good and connect yourself with your fans more in the process. So, so cool. Earlier this month, Ariel, you wrote an article in Forbes because you're just big time now uh, titled Three Simple <laughs> and Essential Money Lessons for Entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of great advice in there, but there was one thing that definitely caught my eye. I'd love for you to elaborate on it because uh, it's something that my parents have told me my whole life and now I have to tell them they were wrong. In the article, you said that the popular adage of do what you love and the money will follow is actually a myth. So what does that mean for any artist? Like, should we not be following our passion? What What's going on? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it's funny because my mom also taught me that. And it took me a lot of years to understand a nuance there. And I mentioned it in the article. I think the person who brought it to light for me in the most visceral way is Cal Newport, who wrote a book that I think absolutely everyone should read. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You, which is actually a Steve Martin quote. So that's awesome. Yeah. But the but the the point that Cal makes in in this book is there is a lot of mythology around this idea of following your passion, which is exactly the same as do what you love, right? right. And if you if you go out and around on the street or anywhere and ask, what's your what are you passionate about? You know, most people are going to have a pretty narrow range of responses. So in our community, of course, it's always music and a lot of young people are passionate about music. I think a lot of people are also passionate about sports. They love sports. Maybe people are passionate about travel or helping others. But I think mostly music and sports, I think, would be the two general consensus things. Sure. <laughs> so then the idea of then building a career around what you love. Okay, so very few of us are going to get to play elite sports, you know, get on football teams or baseball teams or play tennis for a living. So then what does that leave you with? I guess you could work for a football franchise or work as a sports agent. But you see where I'm going here. There's in the music industry as well. You could love music, but there's obviously aside from playing music and being a musician, there's not a whole huge amount of giant job opportunities available. Um, there are some, but not, not as many as we would hope, even with 600 schools having music industry programs. 
But back to this idea of do what you love and the money will follow. The reason why that is not really true and what Cal Newport says is you have to have a skill that you're excellent at that you can also profit from. So, so yes, having amazing guitar chops is a skill, but the only way that you get to profit from it is when you add an additional element. So just sitting in your practice studio and practicing guitar licks, that would be doing what you love and clearly no money would follow. <laughs> so the lesson is, and the thing that I learned because I was very passionate and I loved music and I started my PR firm when I was very young and I was doing what I loved, I didn't realize until years later that, yes, I was serving a community that I loved because I got to work around musicians and that was super cool and I got to publicize music and that was awesome. But the truth was what I was really good at wasn't the fact that I loved music. That was just sort of a perk. So the what I was good at was writing press releases and calling journalists and communicating well and helping to get the message out on behalf of my clients and throwing record release parties and, you know, all the things I used to do when I was a traditional publicist, I was good at those things. And the halo effect was that I got to do it in an industry that I was passionate about. So very often I think we collapse this idea of do what you love and the money will follow. For any artist listening to this, you know that if you place Facebook ads and they turn into ticket sales, placing the Facebook ad is probably not something that you love, but <laughs> the result of getting to play a show and someone showing up and buying a ticket, that's where the money comes in. So it's a little bit of a twist and a rethink on that advice, I think you should always be passionate about at least one aspect of what you're doing, but we don't always all get to do the ultimate, we don't get to serve the ultimate community in our, in our day jobs, all of us all the time. But I think that's the, the lesson there that this sort of do what you love and the money will follow. Well, no, as a business owner, I mean, the first couple of years I was a publicist, I wasn't exactly printing money, I had to figure out how to run a business and how to price my services and how to run a balance sheet and how to hire people. And I mean, there's all kinds of things that you have to learn and how to scale your business so that you make money. And that is what that, that talks about. And what Cal Newport talks about is, I think, so poignant and powerful in that you might love meditation. So go, go do that or you know, but you don't need to turn it into a career necessarily. Right. And you can perhaps, you know, turn, you know, find something that you're passionate about and build your career around it in some way, but that doesn't absolve you of the responsibility of having to learn the unsexy tasks that are on the periphery of that passion so that you can actually pay the rent from the thing that you're passionate about. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Uh, I, I love that. And that, that really is great advice. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, for me, like I'm, I'm very passionate about music and I'm, you know, passionate about the law and, but you know, that passion fuels me to do the things about the law 
that are less interesting. You know, I, and, and, but I you know I, I still think those things are my responsibility. I don't want to meet the lawyer who's following their passion and their passion is filling out timesheets, but you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe that person's out there. All right. Let's talk about cyber PR labs. Cause this is cool. You got a lot of, it's like Ariel, my friend and all of my other friends I've gotten together and they're doing master classes and they're going to be doing them over the next few weeks. And this is so, so exciting. Can you tell the listeners about what they would get out of this program? Yeah. So I'm so excited. I've been talking about launching this for over a year and didn't get to it. And I finally did. And what it is, is I found a little gap in the music marketplace. I, after many years of running courses and classes that were long, like take my nine week class or my 12 week class or seeing what else is out there, like you can join a mastermind and every month you know, pay attention to it. I realized because I ran so many nine, nine and 12 week courses that after about week three, (laughs) it's very hard to keep, uh, keep your attention. So I launched labs. They are little snackable classes. They are three weeks each and each class is 45 minutes long. And the third class in each series also has a one-on-one coaching but they're designed to really get you up and running in a specific topic that I think is vital for you to understand as an independent artist in today's ridiculously changing industry. And I launched this week with the first month's lab. August's lab is called Supercharger Publicity. It's all about how to do your own publicity because I think a lot of artists – waste a lot of money on PR firms. They don't get the results they want. And there's a big lie being told to artists about the real power of publicity. So I'm, I'm here to demystify that and to also give participants in that course a real chance to master their own publicity so they can go out and do it and save their money for something they really need to invest uh, money in down the line. Yeah, folks, uh, Ariel is the best in the business at this. She's a true friend of the indie artist. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know how dedicated and how talented she is. I think this is exciting. I mean, the people are great. I love the format of it, um, you know, because you're right. Some of these master classes that I see out there, it's just way too much of a commitment for artists. But, you know, these are bite size. Whatever thing you need to get better on, you can get better at it in a quick amount of time that's just fabulous again you can check it out at cyberprmusic.com um i want to get you to your thai food as quickly as possible because i imagine you're staring at it and just salivating so do you have any last (laughs) tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help move their careers forward i think for those of you who are not really looking at Spotify yet because you're annoyed because it doesn't pay you anything. I'd like to invite you to rethink that. Spotify is here to stay. And I speak to so many artists that do not really have a Spotify strategy and they're not really looking at it. It's annoying them or they spend a lot of time on everything else like Instagram. And then I look at their Spotify and I'm like, wow, 16 plays last month. Not really looking at that, are you? (laughs) So, um, 
I do, again, have a series about how to get started on Spotify. Spotify also recently launched a bunch of wonderful videos that are really helpful and really well done that will help you understand the platform if you're just getting up on it. So that would be my totally having nothing to do with charities or labs <laughs> advice. Um, but yeah, I am really noticing that for those of you that don't understand what a Spotify pre-save campaign is or you're still releasing all your music at one time, you should rethink that and really get into a little bit more of a Spotify-friendly approach. Oh, and I definitely need to have you on again to talk more about that because that is huge, but I cannot keep you from your dinner any longer because um, <laughs> I mean, as a fellow Thai food lover, I completely understand. Uh, Ariel Hyatt, everybody, she's amazing. Thank you so much for being on with us this week pleasure is all mine. Thank you for the most humorous interview I've ever done. <laughs> True enough. <laughs>